We're Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Philippians 3. If you have a Bible, please turn in your Bibles to Philippians 3. That's the text that we're going to be in this morning. Just as we get started, um, there are one or two people here from the team that went to Mexico. Uh, I know Jess Novetsky is here. Is anyone else from the team from Mexico? John Cox is here as well. We're going to do some testimonies next Sunday. So we're going to hear about the event next Sunday. Um, But from what I've heard from Jess... And from what I've seen online, it sounds like it has been an amazing week. I believe over 50 people surrendered their hearts to Jesus. I believe there was a number of miraculous healings, people giving their hearts to the Lord. Apparently, it was an absolutely incredible trip. So good to have the two of you back and look forward to hearing more about it uh, next, next Sunday. So Philippians 3 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. Last Sunday, um, Hannah and I went to the um, live comedy stand-up performance by Jim Gaffigan at uh, the Chicago Theater. Um, it was our very first live, live comedy experience, and we absolutely, absolutely loved it. It reminded me a little, in some way, of another first that I enjoyed with Hannah a few winters ago, which was when we went to the Lyric Opera. And uh, that was the very first time that I'd been to an opera, and we went to go and see Mozart's The Magic Flute. But I realized very quickly that the, the experience at the Lyric Opera and Jim Gaffigan were... were quite significantly different. Let's say the lyric opera was perhaps a lot more sophisticated than stand-up comedy. Um, Even the dress alone. I mean, there were some people there who uh, honestly had looked like they had woken up from a nap on the sofa and then kind of rolled into Jim Gaffigan. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it was just very different to my lyric opera experience. If you know anything about me, you know just how loud the inner critic in my head is in every area. And one of the things I do struggle with is is what to wear when the day starts. It drives my wife and it drives my family absolutely insane. I I start the day and there's a pile of clothes on the bed, kind of trying to pick out which outfit looks good because of this crazy inner critic that is going on in in my head. So you can imagine the, the struggle going to the opera for the very first time because I mean, this is, a, this is a big event. I mean, what, what was I going to wear? I, I knew enough about the opera to know that it wasn't the opening night, so I didn't have to wear black tie. So I, I, I knew that. But man, I was, I was desperate, desperate to fit in, desperate to find an outfit that would, would be acceptable by the opera-going fraternity. And, and I wanted to know that I was going to be comfortable when I went to the opera. I, I, I was wrestling through, you know, do I wear a button-down with a nice sweater? Do I wear a button-down with a sports coat? Is it a suit without a tie? You know, do I wear jeans? And, and then I, I kind of arrested myself real quickly and realized that jeans were not appropriate because I'm trying to fit in, not be kind of an outlier. Um, this, this whole struggle, this whole wrestle, can I just say, it wasn't just to silence the inner critic. It was something of my offering to the opera-going fraternity. It was something of of my resume to the opera-going fraternity to say, look, on the basis of of what I'm wearing, you can accept me. I can be included in your little fancy circle. And so I duly arrived wearing an outfit that I thought was pretty cool. And within the first 10 minutes of standing in the lobby, I surveyed the scene and realized very quickly that I was accepted. I mean, I, I nailed the outfit. I absolutely nailed the outfit. I looked around and I realized that I was, I was fancier than most, 
without being pretentious. And, and I found myself, even, even a few moments later, looking disparagingly at those who had chosen to wear jeans. Like, like, have you never been to the opera before? I mean, you know that jeans just aren't appropriate. And, and even when I was sitting in my seat, and, and again, I'd never been to the opera before, but when someone coughed or someone kind of wiggled in their chair a little too and made it a bit loud, I, I gave that appropriate, that's not appropriate look at, at them. I mean, it was... It was, it was ridiculous. It was a fun night. I absolutely enjoyed it. But this whole idea of, of, of bringing an offering, this whole idea of hiding behind a, a resume that, 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 that ensures that we are accepted, whether it be by people or whether it be by ourselves, and, and unfortunately, we often do it with God, is not something that is new, and it's something that's been going on for a very long time. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 that Before Adam and Eve rebelled against God, it says in Genesis 2, they were both naked and they felt no shame. They had nothing to hide. They weren't controlling what each other or what God saw. But the moment that Adam and Eve chose to trust in themselves, the moment they chose self-reliance over God-reliance, they were covered with shame. They, 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 They immediately lost that intimacy that they once enjoyed with God And the Bible tells us that they tried to cover up their nakedness and try to cover up their their weakness and their shortcomings in the hope of finding that that closeness once again with God. I've been thinking this week that we are no different to our first parents. We spend so much time trying to come up with this list of achievements while downplaying our weaknesses that we can use to, to, to find that, that, that place of acceptance, that ability to be in with the crowd that we want to be in with. And as I say, we do it with God all the time. Perhaps that resume looks like success. And when you're driven by success and you want success to be on your resume, often what happens is it forces you to work 80, 85 hours a week in order to achieve that. Perhaps that resume looks like not wanting to disappoint others. And so you find this incredible inability to say no when people ask you things and you end up exhausting yourself. Perhaps that resume looks like living a healthy lifestyle and being fit for fear of adding on a few extra pounds. And and those three examples that I've used, I'm not calling anyone else out. Those are examples of things that I've struggled with over the years. Those have been kind of my way of trying to pad out my resume. There's nothing wrong with healthy living. There's nothing wrong with whole relationships. There's nothing wrong with working hard, but the danger is those things or things that you might struggle with can so easily become uh, 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 areas that we use to pad our resume in order to find acceptance. What I want to talk today about is our struggle with righteousness. I want to talk today about our struggle with righteousness. And what I mean by righteousness when I use that word is, is, is how we obtain right standing with God. I think every person in this room, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, you will probably acknowledge that, that there is the, the, the thing that we assume is that our struggle with sin is the thing that probably separates us most from God. We, we, we don't uh, live according to the word of God. We don't live in a way that we believe God is gonna be honored. And so if we don't know Jesus, if we don't know him as Lord and Savior, that sin separates us from closeness with him. But if we do know Jesus, we know that sin, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't destroy our relationship, but it damages our intimacy with Jesus. 
So we know that we have a struggle with sin that separates us from God. But what I want to suggest today is that we have a struggle with righteousness as well. That if we're not careful, can be just as dangerous. Righteousness is our greatest need. It's also our, our greatest problem. But what I want to share today is that it is God's greatest gift to each and every one of us. We're halfway through, just over halfway through our series through the book of Philippians. Uh, this is uh, week five of eight, and our series is entitled Pressing On, Walking in the Ways of Jesus. Pressing on to what? Chapter three, verse 12 is the, is the kind of foundational verse that we are using to, 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 to share this series. And next Sunday, Griffin is actually gonna preach on uh, uh, this particular text. It says in three, verse 12, Paul writes, I'm pressing on to take hold of, to, to apprehend, to seize that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What is that? What is that in, 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 in verse 12? And again, not wanting to steal anything from, from Griffin next week, but, but for me, I, I just want to take a moment to share what I thought that was and preparing the sermon today, what I now think that is. I used to think that, that which Christ Jesus took hold of me was, was some sense of calling or some sense of task or some sense of, 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 of um, gifting that he had given me, a task that I would do for him. And I, and I started asking myself the question, did Jesus really give up his life for a task that I would achieve for him? I mean, surely God, surely Jesus gave up everything that he had for something far greater than just a task or a function that I would serve. Jesus gave up his life that I would enjoy intimacy with him. Look at verse 10, and we're gonna to get to this in a few moments. Verse 10, uh, Paul says that his desire is that I might know him, that I might enjoy intimacy and experience closeness with Jesus. The that in verse 12 that Paul says Christ Jesus took hold of us for is intimacy and closeness with Jesus. And how do we press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us for? We do it by walking in the ways of Jesus, by following after him, by, 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 by responding to his invitation to come and follow me. And we've learned a number of ways of, of how walking in, Jesus, in the footsteps of Jesus looks like. It looks like, firstly, partnership. When we uh, respond to Jesus' invitation to come follow me, we link arms with one another in partnership, and together we bring about a greater reality or a greater experience of the kingdom of God. Walking in the ways of Jesus at times also looks like hardship. It's not always easy walking in the ways of Jesus. But we learned uh, three weeks ago that what we live for, not what we live through, enables us to stand when we face difficult times. And what or who we live for is Jesus. Paul says in, in uh, Philippians chapter one, for me to live is Christ. Walking in the ways of Jesus sometimes looks like surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Griffin helped us understand that, that, that very challenging uh, verse at the end of chapter one. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. How is that possible? How do we, whatever, it, uh, in, in what ways do we ensure that we are living according to the gospel? It's only possible when we surrender to Jesus' lordship or his leadership. 
And then lastly, Sheetal spoke about friendship. Walking in the ways of Jesus looks like friendship. Friendship is only possible when we choose to root ourselves in a community and then begin to develop friendship by sharing our needs with others and discovering what their needs might be. Partnership, hardship, lordship, friendship. Today I want to talk about worship. And when I say worship, I'm not meaning the, the, the singing part that we've just spent or, or, or the time that you put on worship in your car as you're driving to work. I'm talking about every aspect of our lives submitted and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus and our desire for our lives to, bring, to, to ensure that He is honored and glorified. And we're going to learn three things this morning about worship. Worship is where I find my joy. Worship is where I place my confidence, and worship is where I find my hope. Let's jump in at verse one of Philippians chapter three. Paul starts, he says, he says, further. Now, now some translations say, finally. And I wanna just say, if your translation says finally, Paul is not landing his letter to the Philippians. I mean, we, at this church, we don't approve of preachers who suggest that they're gonna land a sermon and then take another 20 minutes (laughs) To land it. We've got no time for, for preachers like that. So Paul is very clearly not saying finally. He says further or, 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 or additionally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Those dogs, those evildoers, those those, those people who are mutilating flesh were a, were a sect of Jewish converts who were completely undermining or trying to undermine Paul's ministry and Paul's message of grace plus nothing. They were insisting that in order to, to get saved or in order to grow in maturity in Jesus, it was the grace of the gospel plus some certain rules and rituals that had to be followed. Maybe it was celebrating a special day. Maybe it was kind of following some specific way. The absolute favorite was the snip on the tip, which is circumcision. But but Paul is, is constantly saying, and Paul's message is constantly, any addition to the gospel of grace, any addition to, to Jesus is, is, is actually subtraction. We completely nullify the gospel of grace when we try and add anything to it. And that's why Paul starts out in chapter three in verse one with rejoice in the Lord. He's saying to them, he's saying to us, celebrate in the absolute and perfect and complete provision of Jesus to enable us to get into the presence of God. And when we celebrate Jesus's provision, we will quickly realize that any additional religious uh, things that we need to do actually fall by the wayside. That's why I wanna say, friends, it's so important that we heed the Bible's instruction when it says things like, we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. When I grew up as a, I got saved when I, was, when, I was, when I was 20, and the person who kind of took me under their wing to, to kind of disciple me, they, they, they taught me that whenever I come into God's presence, I need to start with repentance. And I, and I understand their heart in, in instructing me to do this. You know, start with repentance. Ask the Lord for forgiveness for the things that you've done wrong so it clears the way for you to encounter his presence. But I would start with repentance and I would, I would repent of this and 
repent of that. And, and then I'd sit there and I'd think, oh my goodness, I hope I've remembered everything. And, um, and then the devil would inevitably remind me of stuff that I'd even thought. And before I know it, I'm 15 minutes in and I'm just getting so and so discouraged. And I realized very quickly that the Lord is wanting us to enter his gates, not with repentance, and I'm not dismissing repentance, but to enter his gates with thanksgiving. You see, when we come to the Lord as worshipers, when we come to the Lord giving thanks and praise and adoration, and we, and we begin to glory and honor his name before we realize we look around and we realize we're in the midst of God's presence and we've entered God's presence simply on the back of the grace of Jesus. That's why Thanksgiving, friends, is such an important, uh, if I can use the word discipline, for us to embrace in our, life, in our lives. And an attitude of gratitude keeps the heavens open over us. When we start to give thanks for the things we have, we very quickly are become indifferent to the things that other people say we lack. We need to be a people of thanksgiving. So firstly, worship is about where we find our joy. The second thing I want us to learn today is that worship is also where I place my confidence. Or in some, I could say it this way. Worship is about where I find my righteousness, how I obtain right standing before God. And that's why I said a little earlier, righteousness is our greatest need. It's also our greatest problem, but it's God's greatest gift to us. Righteousness or, or, or right standing is our, is our greatest need because it gets us in. It gives us access into the presence of God. It, it, it ensures that we are accepted, whether it be by God or, or by others around us or even by ourselves. Look at verse three. Paul writes, for it is we who are the circumcision." We who are the circumcision. He's, he's saying the people of God are not a people who adhere to some external kind of uh, uh, rituals, but we, we, we've been circumcised in our hearts by the Spirit of God. The kingdom of God, the, the presence of the Lord has, has taken root in our hearts and it's manifesting externally rather than some external ritual trying to govern the way we live. We who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, we who boast or glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is, is driving home the point that it is the people of God, the followers of Jesus, who are the, who, who are the ones who live according to the spirit. And he is insistent, con continually insistent on the reality of the gospel being grace or Jesus plus nothing. And I want to say we need to be just as, as ruthless in our insistence that the gospel and maturity is grace or Jesus plus nothing. He carries on in verse four. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. The, the term given to Paul was an eighth dayer. An eighth day was this group of Jews who adhered to the Old Testament rules of circumcision and they obeyed that law to the T. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was racially pure. Benjamin was one of only two tribes that adhered to or, 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 or stayed true to the line of David. A Hebrew of Hebrews. He was culturally pure. He never allowed Greek culture to influence his, his Jewish heritage. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. 
as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He was, a, he, he, was, he was not a, he was the rule keeper of rule keepers. And he was zealous in his persecution of, of anyone, including the church, who would suggest that, that rule keeping could be put aside. What, what is Paul doing in these verses? Paul is, is carefully constructing or presenting his resume. The, 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 the list of achievements and accomplishments while diminishing or, or putting aside his weaknesses and his shortcomings, that, that resume, that list that he used to trust in, in order to feel like he could be accepted or get in. And I want to say, friends, if it hasn't become apparent, I hope you've realized that we use resumes all the time. We use resumes to, to get into college. We use resumes to... to to try and get into grad school, to land the dream job that we are so desperate to achieve or, 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 or obtain. And we use resumes in, even, in, in, in less than obvious ways to, to, to try and uh, uh, gain a new friend or perhaps land the second date that we're desperate for. It's what I did when I went to the opera. I, I presented my resume to the opera goers in order to be accepted. It's what we do with our peers, trying to find a way to, to get in. And so it's not surprising that, that we also bring this spiritual resume to the Father. And that's why I say our righteousness is not only just our greatest need, but it's also our greatest problem. There have been times over the last 15 years where Anthem Church, Church in the City, has gone through some really difficult times, as most, if not all, churches go through. And those times where, where people have left, or people have got offended, or, 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 or things have gone wrong, I, I found myself deeply unsettled, deeply shaken by some of those moments. And not that Debs doesn't love the church any, any less than I do, but, but she finds an ability to to in those times of difficulty come alongside and to say, babe, we really need to learn to trust in God because he's the one building the church. But conversely, there've been times as we've raised our three kids where, where they've made decisions which are normal for, 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 for kids growing up, but we, we see them and we, we, we freak out thinking that they are ensuring a trajectory of, of kind of lawlessness into their future. And, and for, for me, I, I'm not so unsettled by that, but Debs is, is deeply gutted and deeply offended because she's sure that they're going to be vagrants by the age of, of 30. And, and not that they are in any way, Bex. But the point being, in, in those times, I find this ability to say to her, babe, we need to learn to trust in our father because he is their first parent above us. And the point I'm trying to make is, is there are different areas where we find that we've accepted external things and incorporated them into our spiritual resumes. For me, it's a successful church whatever success looks like. And for Debs, it's, it's, it's wanting to be there for her kids and to ensure that they're gonna be successes. Again, whatever success looks like. The problem with resumes, whether we're applying for a job or trying to find a friend or find acceptance with God is whenever we use a resume, it comes with this question, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Or am I doing enough? I've used this illustration before, but um, the actress who played Black Panther's sister, Letitia Wright, in an interview said this, 
She said, I needed to take a break from acting because I really idolized it. So I left acting and went on a journey to discover God and my relationship with him and became a Christian. He gave me such love and light within myself. I felt secure, like I didn't need validation from anyone else, from my career, from getting a part. My happiness wasn't dependent on that. It was dependent on my relationship with Jesus. And friends, you know this to be true, but we are constantly facing the, the, the challenge of, of where we put our trust or where we find our confidence or in what things do we obtain or find our righteousness. For Letitia Wright, it was acting. For Paul, it was his religious pedigree. For me, if I'm not careful, it's the success of the church. For Debs, it's being there for her kids. What is it for you? Righteousness is our greatest need. Righteousness is our greatest problem. But the good news is, is that righteousness is God's greatest gift to us. Look at verse seven. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Now there's a word that I, that, that I, that I could use that I won't. Dog poop is the, is the kind of cleansed version of that. That's literally what Paul is saying. I consider them dog poop, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What Paul is saying is he's, is he's seen a righteousness which is a, a gift from God that is something far greater than the good things that once padded his resume. But this is the critical thing that we need to understand. The, the, the gift from God is not righteousness in and of itself. The gift of God is Jesus in which righteousness is found. Look at verse seven. Paul says his gains are considered loss. Why? For the sake of Christ, not for the sake of righteousness. In verse eight, because of the surpassing worth of knowing my righteousness? No, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, that I may gain Christ. And again in verse nine, to be found in a righteous place? No, to be found in him. John writes in the book of Revelation, I'm doing a, a study through the book of Revelation in my devotions, and, and in chapter one, John d describes this incredible vision he has of Jesus and seven aspects of his, of, of his uh, uh, um, uh, he, he, he identifies seven aspects of Jesus, the last of which he says is that Jesus' face was shining like the sun in its full strength. Remember when we were kids and we would, we would look too long in the sun, and it would leave an imprint on our retina. I mean, that's, that's what, what Paul is saying has happened to him. He's, he's stared, he's staring in the glory, at the glory and brilliance of Jesus Christ, and it's causing everything else to be diminished in the reality of who Jesus is. And I love this. Where does God find those who have received the gift of righteousness that is in Christ Jesus, his son? Where does God find us? Does he find us trying to pad our resume so that we can be more impressive to God? No, look at verse nine. We are found in him. And I wanna say, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, don't spend time, don't waste time trying to pad your resume in order that God might accept you. He has prepared for you a perfect, complete, 
never, to, never, needed to be, never need to be replaced resume. And it's available to you today in him. I love the account that is told in Genesis 27. Genesis 27 tells the account of Isaac. You had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Esau was the favorite son. And Jacob realized that. And Jacob was desperate to receive the blessing that would come to the favored son. But in order to receive the blessing that would come to the favored son, Isaac needed to clothe himself. Isaac needed to hide himself. Isaac needed to rely on the resume of the favored son in order to receive the blessing of the favored son. And that's what happens to us in Jesus. Jesus, friends, listen to this. Jesus is my unearned, never-changing righteousness, yesterday, today, and forever. Because Jesus never changes, my, neither does my righteousness. No matter the good I do, no matter the bad I am going through or the mistakes I make, I need to keep looking to the gift of God that is in his son, Jesus. Worship is about where I find my joy. Worship is about where I place my confidence. Lastly, and finally, and we are bringing this into land, worship is about where I find my hope. Look at verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. What was the goal, the ultimate goal for me dressing up appropriately to go to the opera? Was it to be accepted? Yes, it was. But the ultimate goal of me dressing up in order to be in at the opera was that so that I could enjoy the magnificence of the performance. I was never a sprinter growing up, but I was told, I had friends who sprinted, and I was told that the one thing that sprinters are taught is you don't run to the line, you run 10 meters or 10 yards beyond the line. You run beyond the tape. And I wanna say, friends, what Paul is getting, us, getting at is that righteousness is the tape. But we're not running to the tape, we're running beyond the tape. The goal is not righteousness, the goal is Jesus. That's the goal. That's what, what, what Paul is saying. That's whom we need to be focusing our eyes on. Righteousness in order to know Christ. Forgive me if you've heard this illustration. I've used it a thousand times, but, but I'll never forget the first time I took my son to the Science and Industry Museum. And we walked in and, and he was blown away by the lobby. He loved that silver train, the gift shop, the, the massive posters of the dinosaurs. And, and, and he spent 25, 30 minutes marveling at the splendor of the lobby at the Science and Industry Museum. And he, when he was done, he was like, Dad, let's go home. And I'm like, buddy, there's an entire museum to enjoy. And it's like us, with, when it comes to this, friends, the righteousness of Christ is the lobby. The righteousness of Christ gets us in. But don't camp out at the righteousness. Don't glory at the righteousness of God, as, as amazing as that is. The righteousness enables us to explore the fullness of who Jesus is. When he returns, or when I go to be with him, I'm not gonna be amazed at eternal life, as incredible as that is. I'm not gonna stand there and ask Jesus questions about my life and with all reality. I'm gonna marvel at the splendor and the magnificence of Jesus, and I'm gonna spend an eternity doing exactly that, and that's what we can enjoy right now. Moses cries out to God in Exodus 33, Lord, you've shown me your presence. Lord, you've shown me your favor. 
Now show me your glory. And could I say, friends, a New Testament version of that is, Lord, you've shown me your grace. You've revealed your righteousness to me. Now show me Jesus. That needs to be the cry of our hearts. Where is your hope? Is your hope in an inheritance that your family might leave you one day? Or in a heavenly inheritance that is kept, with you, kept for you in heaven? Is your hope in treasures on earth that will spoil or treasures in heaven that will never spoil or fade? Is your hope for retirement for two decades at the end of your life or the resurrection for eternity? And all of that is found in Jesus. Jesus is where I find the fullness of joy. Jesus is the one in whom I place my confidence Jesus is God's great, greatest gift to me, not the righteousness, but Jesus in whom I find righteousness. And Jesus is the reason for the hope that I have. In verse 12, and Griffin's gonna preach on this next week, but Paul says, I press on to take hold of that, that intimacy, that closeness for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And as we land, my question to you today is, can you say that of yourself? As a follower of Jesus here today, can you say that I am above all else pressing on to take hold of that, that relationship that God has gifted me through his son Jesus? Am I giving my most, uh, all of, most of my attention, my, my greatest priority, am I giving it to the pursuit of intimacy with Jesus? And I wanna say, friends, if you are not a follower of Jesus today, then the invitation for you is here. The invitation for you is here to say, you know what, I've been trying to pad my resume, I've been trying to do the right things, I've been trying to gain access into God's presence by crying out to him and showing him a resume of things that I've achieved, and there is a perfect resume that Jesus has written for you. It's simply found as we surrender our hearts to him. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.